The Bible says we have treasures in earthen vessels. Glory to God. So there's gifts on the inside of men. There's fivefold gifts. And uh, that's not for the fivefold ministers. That's for the body of Christ. We understand that, right? So, Pastor Mark, I don't know how you guys call Pastor Amy. Does it work that way? I don't know. We're in Idaho, aren't we? Oh, wait, wait, wait. Be careful here. First time I ever came through Idaho was I visited Pastor Mark, 1989, right before New Year's. And, uh, and then the Lord spoke to me the next year to come up and my wife and I, my wife's back here with my four-and-a-half-month-old baby, Christy. So she's waving right there. But I'm telling you this because I am a card-carrying Idahoan. I, I, have, I have my 5B license plates, and I have my 5B driver's license. So I am considered one of you. See? And my, my wife retains hers as well. Now, we are, we are five beers, so you'll have to forgive us for that. <laughs> do, do you guys understand that yet? I didn't think so. <laughs> Hang around another 20 years, you'll get it. We, we are the different ones. Blaine County. All the kids know. Every, all the kids know all the... Anyway, so I was telling you this. Let's not get off track here. So there's a gift on the inside of us, Okay. And it's not mine. It's for you. And we know this is a believer's meeting, so we, I don't know how to say it, and it just draw on the gift, because the gift's not for us. The gift is for you. And um, so I'm going to just show a real short video. Do, can we pull that up or not? Just so that you can see what we do. Now, we know we trust Pastor Mark. He's probably one of the most careful pastors I've seen. Uh, after Pastor Mark talked to me, I got one scripture that kept rolling around in me. And I kind of do the thing I was taught at Bible school is I kind of wait on the Lord during the day. I don't wear myself out. I just go over scriptures, go over what's in my heart. And he kind of told me how he prepared for these kind of services. I, man, I'm, do you guys sense the Holy Ghost like we sense the Holy Ghost? And so this one scripture kept rolling around in my heart. And uh, we'll see how far it takes us. And in Acts, glory to God. Uh, uh, Chapter 26, verse 19. I like my my heading in the Bible says that Paul's post-conversion life. And uh, Paul says in verse 19, he says, Therefore, King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision. And uh, to me, uh, the Bible's pretty powerful because, I mean, I think Paul could have said it influenced by the Holy Ghost. He could have said, you know, I was, I was obedient to God to the heavenly vision. But he said, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision. And... Uh, not just any vision, not just man's vision. Paul was a man of zeal and a man of passion and a man who'd do anything for what he believed in. So he could have poured his whole life into his tent-making business, 
And we probably would have been hearing about Paul's tents today. Do you understand what I'm saying? He could have been the best tent maker in, in all of the Middle East at the time. And then his, it could have carried on in perpetuity. It could have continued on and we could have been getting Paul's tents today. Instead of Coleman, it would have been Paul's tents. <laughs> formerly known as Saul. He could have had a little Christian fish on, it, on all this stuff. You know what I'm talking about? All over the world. Man, I'm going to tell people about Jesus via my, my tent making process. But Paul tells King Agrippa, he says, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision. One, one, one word for disobedient here means non-compliant. I was not non-compliant to the heavenly vision. And when I looked up this word heavenly, I mean, it's, I, I'm laying in the bed. My wife and daughters were getting their nails done. I think they were hanging out and doing this other stuff. And it kept rolling, heavenly vision, heavenly vision. I looked it up. And one, one translation of that in the Greek means... Let me just make sure I say it right. It means dwelling in heaven. Do you know each one of us has a vision from God that's dwelling in heaven? Do you understand that? And this is the kind of place where we can access heaven. And we can reach up and that heavenly vision can be deposited on, on the inside of us. Now Paul said this to Timothy. He said... I know the gift that is in thee by the laying on of hands of the presbytery. You know what I'm talking about? The ministry, and something was imparted. You with me? Man, I, I wish I could take a snapshot of you guys. It's just, anybody drooling yet? <laughs> now, I know this, the statistics of, of Boise. Is it 50 or is it 80% Mormon? No, no, it's more than that. I was flying. I was flying uh, when you guys sent me to the dentist. I was flying back from somewhere uh, a couple years ago, and I listened to um, somebody who was being placed here, and they, they gave the quotes of it. Now, when you see this kind of hunger, that's awesome. God wants to do something in Boise. So Paul says, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision. Every one of us has some type of heavenly vision. Some of us are called to fivefold ministries. Some of us are called to uh, different, different. Some of us are called to be givers. Some of us are called to be helps, and the helps ministry is as much as a heavenly vision, as much as dwelling in heaven's vision, as anything else. Are you with me? But do you know what your heavenly vision is? Do you know what you're called to do? Do you are you putting your hand to that? Are you are you now don't get me wrong, okay? It, if you're called to be a tent maker, you should have the best tents that were ever made. But if the heavenly vision is is you know what I'm talking about? Is pursuing heavenly things, you know what I'm talking about, right? Are you are you putting that as a hobby on the side to pursue the tent making? Are you with me? Are you putting that aside 
that even though, well, man, I'm working as much as I possibly can. I'm doing everything I possibly can do. But there's a heavenly vision that's on the inside of you. That's something that's supposed to change. Listen, Paul is my traveling companion more than anybody else. And Paul gave us approximately half of the New Testament. He might have had a great tent making business. He might have had a big old fine house somewhere. He might have had the best ships shipping those tents if he would have pursued the tent making. But I wouldn't have Paul as my traveling companion when I'm traveling around going, God, I'm in Pakistan and I have three trucks, uh, police trucks, one that's five kilometers, one three kilometers and one one kilometer that have pulled in with six to eight policemen with machine guns so that nobody kills the Angrezi guy who's going to come. And I am the opposite of the Islamic terrorist. When I land in their nation, I'm just not, oh no, that's an Islamic man. You know what I mean? That's someone following uh, uh, Islam. That's the guy coming in strapped with the bombs. That's who I am. I'm going on to their territory, and in their mind, I've got bombs strapped to me, and I'm like, I'm going to blow you all up for my, for my God. Are you with me? And I need that man to travel with me because when I'm digging in here, in fact, today when I just glanced at something, I had to write something down because Paul gave me a powerful piece. And if Paul wouldn't have pursued the heavenly vision, 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 I wouldn't have him with me. I don't know what you're called to do. I don't know what buzzes around on the inside of your heart, left and right. I don't know what goes on inside of you. I don't know where your resources go. I don't know where your life is spent. But Paul said, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision. And if you go back and look at when his heavenly, what happened to the heavenly vision, it doesn't say any reference to who gave him the vision. It actually said that the layman who went to lay hands on him. You remember that guy? Ananias? He laid hands on him. He's the one who said, the Lord Jesus told me to tell you. And so Paul, do you know who Paul was? He was a Jew. He was a Pharisee of the Pharisees. This, this thought comes to my mind, and I've got to be so careful. Because I'm from California. You have to be politically correct. Okay, I'll just take that one right there and just... (laughs) This is Idaho. I got the driver's license. I got 5B plates down in L.A. You think I'm kidding? Yeah, it it is, isn't it? So I was thinking of who Paul was. He was a Jew. He ate a certain way. He dressed a certain way. You go to Israel and the Orthodox Jews will not talk to you unless you talk to them. Because you are a non-people. They are the chosen people. Are you with me? So it would be like a cowboy raised out in the trail. You know what I'm talking about? Up Stanley Basin or something like that. And then God takes him out from eating his pancakes and his elk meat. Take this out. You know what I'm talking about? Living in one of those little trailer things. 
kids are homeschooled, running 300 miles north and then 300 miles south. You know what I'm talking about? And then he sends him down to the ballet school in Los Angeles. <laughs> Guys with tutus and you know what I'm saying? I heard Rick Renner say this about Paul in France. He said, Paul was a man completely submitted to the will of God against all cultural uh, upbringing and against everything he was wired for. And God reined him in every single day. And Paul said, yes, sir every single day when he when he when he went among the gentiles he had to eat like the gentiles are you with me no more cornbread and beans and elk meat but pate and lemon bars are you with me so being, being obedient to the heavenly vision might be God ripping out everything you thought you were created for. And Brother Hagen taught us this. He says, in the, the extreme, the farthest extreme that God has to manifest to you in the natural, the harder it's going to be for you to stand. Oh, give me, let me have a vision of Jesus. Because if Jesus came right in front of you, you better get to, you better get ready to hold on with everything because he's going to shake your world. And if you can't follow that still small voice that's on the inside of you, then that means you're going to need something physical to hold on to when the ride gets really rough. Are you with me? Paul said, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision. And if you go back later in Acts, he's speaking to kings. He's speaking to Gentiles. And then not only that, gosh, I'm going this way. Could you see that cowboy from Stanley Basin going down to the ballet in L.A. and having to come back dressed like that for the boys in Stanley Basin and come back and tell them about his Jesus and them laughing at him as he comes walking down? Can you see that? But that's, that's who Paul was. I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision. I don't know what you're called to. I flew back from that Pakistan trip. No, that was not the worst one. The one before was bad. Like a month of squirts. I know. I, I think the Holy Ghost can understand that. And I flew back to America, then I flew to Africa, then I came back, and then we had meetings. For a month, I had to 
But this last one, I flew back, and right after I got out of Pakistan, I flew to Malibu to do a Bible study at Pepperdine University. I really believe that God wants us, some of us, to be able to jump back and forth from what we consider the norm. Wow, where are we going here, huh? That's my baby right there. (laughs) I think Tori started doing that at eight weeks old at meetings. So he said, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision. How many of you really know where your vision is? I feel like I just hit somewhere. How many of you are going, I don't have an idea what I'm even supposed to do? Anybody? Oh, I see a couple of timid hands sneaking up there. Glory to God. I'm going to share a couple things with you, okay? And I, I really, I have no concept of time right now for some reason at all. Sometimes when we lay hands on people, uh, the Lord shows me things. If it doesn't mean anything at all to you, then you just throw it out. Put it on a shelf. You know what I'm saying? I was ministering at a, a church in, um, in, uh, outside of Detroit, Michigan. They actually call it Little Detroit. It's all Albion. And uh, we're in a believers meeting, okay? So we're, uh, we're okay with this, I think. And uh, sometimes when I lay hands on people, I see things. A lot of young people, I see things. I was ministering to a lady in uh, the Life Church in Haley. And uh, she came up for cancer. She had cancer in her colon. She was going to get surgery. All right, everyone okay right now? And uh, she came up and she said, I don't remember saying it. She said, I laid hands on her. And um, I just jumped from Detroit to Haley, I know. We'll bring a little closer to home. And when I laid hands on her, she said, I said to her, this is just a little bump in the road. And uh, I said, no, it's not a big deal. And then she's an older woman. Uh, older is all relative, I suppose. <laughs> Maybe she's 60. And she's a little bit overweight. But she, and she, she moves kind of slow, but she's very intelligent. All right? And she said, I said to her, the Lord's not done with you yet. And then when I laid hands on her, I saw fire in her hands. To me, this is what it means. It might not mean anything to you. I've been doing this for 20 years, so I probably have a whole lot more to learn. Maybe when I'm getting about 40 years of ministry, then maybe I'll start knowing what I'm doing. I'm kind of joking. And I'm, I'm, I'm serious about the kind of. And I said, I see fire in your hands. And I said, normally when I see that, I see it on a lot of teenagers. And uh, I said, do you ever lay hands on the sick? And she said, no. 
And I said, it's about time to start laying hands on the sick. Now that's according to Mark 16. It says the believers will lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. And so I came back to speak just December 6th after coming from Idaho, or from Utah, excuse me. And she came to me right before the service. Her name's Marty. I'm trying to get the testimony so I can put it on the website. And as she came to me, she said, Cliff, Pastor Mike said it's okay for me to tell you this right before the service. You know, because you're trying to make sure you're hearing from the Holy Ghost. She says, when you came to me, she told me that little story. She said, I went through the doctor, went to the doctors, had the surgery. And when I came out, uh, he asked me if I had any pain. And she said, no, I just have a little bit. And he said, where's the pain? He said, on a, on a level from 1 to 10, what's your pain level? She said, 3. He said, where's the 3? And she said, in my derriere. That's French for... Um, <laughs> Sorry, sorry about that. <laughs> and he said, what about the incision? She said, I don't have any pain at all. And he said, no, no, that's impossible. I've never, he said, I do three to five of these a day. And he said, you've got to have pain. She said, has no pain. So she, he gave her a shot, and a, a pain shot. And two days later, I think two or three days later, he let her out. He said, I should have let you out the first day. I've never heard of anybody not having pain. And, but he let her out. Obviously, she saw she wasn't really in pain. A couple, about two weeks later, I think, if I'm correct, don't quote me on this, somebody came to her and said, I've got uh, cancer of the liver. And she said, let me tell you a story. And she told a story of me laying hands on her, saying what I said to her. And then the doctor, no pain. She said, do you mind? Can I lay hands on you? She prayed for this person. They went and got an MRI, and the cancer, I think it was the liver. Did I say that already? Yeah. Was gone. The story, the story doesn't end there. Two weeks later, somebody else came to her and said, I've got cancer. And she said, let me tell you a story. She went from where I prayed for them to where uh, all the way up to the lady getting healed. She prayed for that person, and that person got healed. I didn't lay hands on them. I just stirred up the heavenly vision. Her boss came to her two weeks after that and said, I have brain cancer. She said, can I tell you a story? She went from here all the way to the end. Her, her boss got healed of brain cancer. When I spoke on December 6th, before the service up to that, five women, including her, had gotten healed of cancer. So now I'll get back to Detroit. We were speaking outside of Detroit, and I was there was a lot of young people that we, we do three to four day faith seminars there. They come in and just teach on faith. And what happens when you teach on faith? It stirs up faith. And then we challenge people to act on faith. So I think I was laying hands on about 30 people. And sometimes I see crowns on people's heads, especially young people. And I remember laying hands on people, and I said, you know what, Lord, people are going to think I'm making this up. And I, I, I even remember, I think out of 30 people, I saw three crowns. Now, I've searched this thing out. I've got some ministers who are older than I am, much more wiser, a lot more knowledgeable. 
You know, knowledge and wisdom are not the same. You can just get knowledge and not apply it, but knowledge applied is wisdom. It's sort of a joke, but they're a lot more knowledgeable and a lot more wiser than I am. They said, you can't say these kind of things all the time. I said, okay, <clears throat> unless you have scriptural evidence to back it up. Now, we're a word church, right? So I like to have that. So I go searching through the Bible, looking at different crowns. I see crowns of righteousness. I see the four and 20 elders casting their crowns. I see Jesus with many crowns on his head. So I was looking at these crowns. But I can't verify everything I see. So this one day, I'm speaking, and there was one of the darkest men, black men, I'd ever seen at this church. The pastor said, this is Jacob. He's one of the lost boys. You know why I'm telling you this, right? Because what it does is it stirs up your faith. Glory to God. And he just stood him up. He said, this is Jacob. He's one of the lost boys. So when they got done, he comes up to me. He wasn't in the line for prayer. And he says, will you pray for me? And I said, yeah. And I went to lay hands on him. And he said, as I laid hands on him, I saw a crown of thorns. And I said, God, what do I do? This is, in my circles, this is not a good thing. And the Lord says, tell him what you see. So I laid hands on him. And I remember he was, it's a small, it's a small church. And he was up here and church is pretty much out. And I said, I see a crown of thorns on your head. And then somehow all I remember is my hand was on his belly like this. And he said, I said, uh, as I went to take my hand off, the Lord said, now tell him when he's young, he walked where he wanted to walk. But when he's old, he's going to be carried where he doesn't want to be carried, thus signifying the kind of death he's going to die for me. So I went, wow, that's a blessing. I took my hand off. And he comes up to me after with a big smile on his face. Am I rushing things? Okay. And he said, he said, where'd you get this message of faith? I said, well, I went to a faith school and I read a faith Bible and I live a life of faith. And, and he said, uh, I was one of the lost boys of Sudan. He said, when I was six years old, the Muslim rebels came from the north and killed our parents. And he said, um, 20,000 of us boys made it into the woods. You know what happened to the girls. And he said, we went across the southern Sudanese desert. I think they were headed for Ethiopia, if I'm correct. And he said, um, six years old, I've got a, my daughter's going to be six. I've got a five-and-a-half-year-old. She'll be six August 30th. He said, when we were crossing the desert, said it would rain and we would lift up our hands and praise God. And I don't know why it didn't register. It was the desert. There's, these are six. He says, we ate bark and drank our urine. And he said, as we were at night, lions would hunt us. And we hit, I think it's the, it's the Nile. He said, we went to go cross that river 
and I researched this to make sure it was accurate. He said, most of us couldn't swim, but we got the Muslim rebels coming at us, crocodiles in the river, and most of us couldn't swim. He said, a majority of us died. He said, but I got on my cousin's back and I swam across with him. And he said, uh, we, tur- we got to the, I think it's the Ethiopian border, and they turned us away. So we wandered in the desert for three to four months before the UN and the US got together and brought 5,000 of us over here. He said, I'm in a great college, Spring Arbor College in um, Spring Arbor. He says, I, I play football, soccer. And he says, I'm in a good church. And he says, I want to go back and p- tell my people about my Jesus. So I realized that was a blessing to him. And after that, I said, God, what you show me, I'll share. So I'm telling you all that for a reason. You know that, right? We don't know when you get around the world, you don't know when how close it is to the coming return of Jesus Christ. I think it's a lot closer than most people realize. I think some of us are going to get up there. We didn't finish what we were told to do down here. And we're going to stand before Jesus. And one of my friends, he said, you're going to stand before all heaven naked and ashamed. Because there was something you were supposed to do. And you keep avoiding the heavenly vision that God has for you. And it's our time now, saints. It's our time now to be telling people about the soon coming return of our Jesus. It's our time. And I believe he will confirm his word with signs following. Not so that we're, well, look at who I, but so that people know. Listen, right now the reason why Mormonism is spreading over this valley. What is this called here? is because people are lacking exactly what we get, what we target on Wednesday nights. I see, I, I sit with a billionaire having coffee in Malibu regularly. And he said only the last eight years, he's 78, the last eight years, he said, I started thinking about mortality. But he doesn't have all the answers, but he has all the money. I have some friends who are very talented in the entertainment industry, but they don't have what we have. They're not taking a night out to pursue God like this. And like Pastor Mark said, and I just got it in a fleeting second, I don't know, he said it really eloquently. We're here to gather together so that we can go out and take this to other people. Not just flowery words of men's wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power that men would not trust in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. They would put their faith in the power of God. And I believe it's time for the world to see the saints rise up and take their place.